If you would stand with me and honor the reading of God's word. Today we're reading from 1 Peter chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same purpose, because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh no longer for the lust of men, but for the will of God. For the time already past is sufficient for you to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of sensuality, lust, drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In all this, they are surprised that you do not run with them into the same excesses of dissipation, and they malign you. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For the gospel has for this purpose been preached even to those who are dead, that though they are judged in the flesh as men, they may live in the spirit according to the will of God. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And all of God's people said, you may be seated. Church, this is God's word for us today, and I want to get right into the text. We've been studying 1 Peter. Last week we looked at suffering. It was a, that wonderful topic that we all love to talk about so much. And while it talks about suffering at the beginning today, that's not really where we're going with this text. Go ahead and look at, verse, at chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. And we see there that it says that Christ has suffered. And by the way, I think that means he suffered even to death in the flesh. Because not only did he suffer on the cross, Jesus actually died on that cross for us. And it says, because he suffered and died for us, we are to arm ourselves with that same purpose or that same viewpoint. Now, that's a difficult thing to understand. It says, arm ourselves with the same purpose, because he who suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. And what I believe this is telling us is that maybe you haven't physically died yet, right? We're still alive. You guys, most of you look pretty alive today. And... um, As we begin to look at this, we're alive, and yet we're to consider ourselves as dead. We're to have that same purpose. Christ was willing to suffer and die on the cross for us. And we've already been told over and over again in 1 Peter, listen, Christ died serving an example that we would walk in his steps. So we are now to follow him and be willing even to consider ourselves as dead. In other words, it's this kind of message, consider yourselves as dead. Put to death the old man as live live as if you were already resurrected. That's where we're going with this text. Think about it. You've already died with Christ, and you've been raised to walk with him. You've already been saved. You've already been made alive. And so now let's live a life in accordance with that new life that we have. It wasn't for nothing that Christ said in John 3, 3, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, He cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus tells us that. 
And to, to be born again, we first die together with Him. And then we're raised up and we're given this new life that we have. And so we don't come today looking at this text and going, man, I can't believe the preacher's up there asking me to give up sin and walk with Jesus. It's so hard. Pastor, i got things I want to do that don't, that don't line up with this. I just want to live for myself. That's not the, we don't come to this today. We should not come to this with that sense of obligation, although he is asking that of us. We come to the text today with joy and with gratitude and thanksgiving because we have been born again. We have been rescued. And so we always come back to the grace of God. And we always start with his salvation and how that is what gives us the power to look beyond ourselves and to live a life for the will of God. Because what we look at, what we see here in verse 2 is this it says that we consider ourselves dead so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for the lust of men, but for the will of God. You have a choice this morning. And we have a choice every day when we wake up. Am I going to live for the lust of men? By the way, lust just means illicit desires. Those desires that we have that are wrong. Are we going to live for our pleasures? Or are we going to live a life for the will of God? And we have that choice every day, right? We get up and we decide, well, what are we going to orientate our life around? Are we going to make it about Him or make it about ourselves so if you consider and I make, maybe take an ideal situation, some of the testimonies you've heard over the years, you should be able to look back at your life and go, well, this is what my life looked like before I was reborn, before I got saved, this is how I lived, and then now that I'm saved, this is how I live. Shouldn't we be able to kind of make a, a difference there? And I ask you that because... We were bought with a price so that we would not live for ourselves, but we would live for his purposes, that we would have new goals and new uh, behavior. And we set our goals in this life. We define what's important and what's right, and it should be according to God and his kingdom and his will, what he would desire of us, and not according to our own, our own pleasures. Now, how many of you, when you were a young person, you made some goals for your life? Well, when I, when I get older, I want to be this. Maybe you were choosing the career you wanted. And I, you talk to young people, and I know I was the same way, and, well, what do you want to do in life? I don't know, but I want to get rich. <laughs> right? Isn't, isn't that something we all think, well, you know, I just want to make money. I want to have a good life. And I think as so many of us, we have that goal when we're, when we're young. Only in time do we begin to realize that riches... And wealth, well, they don't really mean what they thought we did, right? They don't mean what we thought that they meant when we were younger. So for those that know Christ, they begin to understand there's certainly more than riches, certainly more than the pursuit of our own pleasure to life. And in fact, those, that pursuit of those pleasures are very destructive and will bring death to us. And they just bring harm to us in so many different ways. Well, verse 3 really kind of points out this difference. And he tells us, the time has already passed. It's sufficient for you to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of sensuality, lust, drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. 
In other words, it says you've had enough time to carry out the desires of this world. Most of us at some point pursued a course of sensuality. And I think sensuality kind of describes the rest of that list. Because if you look that word up, and it might say licentiousness in your Bible, you look it up and here's what it means. Pertaining to, inclined to, or preoccupied with the gratification of the senses or appetites. In other words, we had a life where my goal was to gratify my pleasures and my appetite. It might be of, and with this, of physical in nature, but it might be more than that. It's that desire for riches, the desire for comfort. I always think when I think of this passage, I always think of like, you see the Romans back in the day and you see the pictures of them. They're like on their couch, laid out, eating grapes, you know, and just having a good time. They were just pursuing life for their pleasure, right? It was eat, drink, and be merry. That was their plan. And we we look at life sometimes in just that way. Well, this says, especially if you came to life or came to be a Christian later in life, you know what it means that, hey, I used to live for my pleasure, for sensuality, for making sure I was happy. And that's just the way that we did it. Now, uh, another, word, another definition of sensuality is lacking in moral restraints or lewd. In other words, most of us have had that period of our lives where we lived that way. Others of you were blessed to have grown up with a strong faith. You were saved in an early age. You had Christian parents who taught you. And, and because of that, perhaps some of you were fortunate enough or blessed and wise enough to avoid some of those periods of sin. But it seems they're pretty common throughout the world. That's why it says you've had the time to carry out the desire of the Gentiles. The, the people that just didn't know God and didn't know better. Well, you were living the same way, right? In Ephesians, it tells us we were all just like that, indulging the desires of the mind and the heart. That was in Ephesians 2. And so we've all had that time. Ultimately, without a driving purpose and a standard set by God, we make ourselves our own judge and our own defender. Everybody does what is right in their own eyes. Isn't that the way the, the Scripture describes the people of this world? And we've all, every one of us, been there at different times. Well, this list goes on. So we had sensuality, and then it says lusts. Again, illicit desires. That is, desiring that which is contrary to God's will. Might be sexual. It might come with other desires. Then it talks about drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, idolatries. Look at verse 4, though. It says, in all this, they're surprised that you don't run into them, with them, into the same excesses of dissipation. In other words, when you get saved, the people that you used to run around with and do all these things with ought to recognize, hey, I don't know why Jamie doesn't do that anymore, but Jamie doesn't do it anymore. And they say, and they even in this verse begin to speak ill of us, because we don't follow the same sin patterns that we used to. There's been a change in us. And in verse 4, it calls that kind of lifestyle, by the way, of drunkenness and the carousing, the drinking parties and all that. It calls it dissipation, which is a fancy word to say useless. It was just a wasting of time. And so you think about this. We have very little precious time on this earth, don't we? And that's the reality. This life is limited, and your time in your body that you have right now is also limited. 
And so if dissipation is just wasting your time. And so if you're spending your time living for your pleasures and, and drunkenness, listen, what, do you, what useful thing do you accomplish when you're drunk? Nothing. And that's usually what the, the Scripture goes after when it talks about drunkenness. That not only, why is it contrary to God's law? One, you, you lose self-control. You, you could get into all other sorts of sin because of drunkenness. But more than anything, it is a waste of the resources and the time that God has given you. And so that's why it calls this out. And Paul tells him, listen, you had enough time for that. It's time to put it away. It's time to put that aside and let's live for the will of God instead. Looking at verse 4, again, those who are still living for their own pleasures, they're surprised that you're not continuing to, believe, to live in that lifestyle with them. It says they malign them, they speak evil of them. They come and say things like, that Christian, he just thinks he's holier than everybody else. You ever heard that? That guy, he's just one of those holy rollers, you know? He's a, such a hypocrite. You ever heard that? On the other hand, have you ever heard a testimony of somebody who really was, had spent years living for their own pleasure and suddenly got saved and changed their life? And some of those people that might malign him at first eventually come to glorify God through his changed life. That God uses us in that way. And so we know that that happens as well. They, they used to live for themselves, but now they're serving the king. Sometimes there's rejoicing as we see others change and come and meet Christ as well. But you look down, continue, let's continue to look in this, because the next section here is what we see is that the truth is judgment is coming. And the people of this world don't want to recognize that, but the only thing protecting us from judgment and the judgment to come is the blood of Christ. If, listen, we're all guilty, and we know that, we recognize that, and we can look at this passage and say, you know what, he's coming. Verse 5 says, but they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. That no one escapes that judgment. You know, the scripture says, all those who have died before, guess what, they get resurrected too. And they will all stand in front of God and give an account. To those that don't know Him, that judgment is horrifying. It really is. And what people don't understand is they malign those who have changed. They malign those who are now following Jesus. Is that there's a judge coming. Verse 6 says, For the gospel has for this purpose been preached even to those who are dead, that though they are judged in the flesh as men, they may live in the Spirit according to the will of God. You know, I, I was reading up about that passage, trying to understand what that verse meant. What does it mean about this gospel? Well, the truth is, at this point, many of them were already dying. They had heard the gospel preached. They'd heard about Jesus. Some had believed, but guess where their bodies were? They were in the ground. And the world would look at this and go, yeah, see, I don't know about your God. You guys talk about resurrection, you talk about these things, but they're dead, right? And we're still here, we're alive. And they don't understand that there is a judge that's coming. And that though many believers had already died, guess what? In the Spirit, they live. 
and that there is a resurrection coming for them as well. And so in the end, they are going to live according to the will of God. Verse 7 keeps emphasizing this. The end of all things is near. The end of all things is near. We don't know how much time we have left. Do you guys ever sit down and make family goals or a year kind of look at what do I want to accomplish in the next few years of your life? Well, what if you only knew or knew that you only had a week left? How would you change how you live besides not going to work? How would you change the things? What would be important to you if you only had a week to live? Because he tells them here the end is near. And we've been kind of lulled to sleep a little bit by that, haven't we? Because... uh, There's always somebody telling us that the end is near. And the truth is, it is. You don't know if today or tomorrow you will take that last breath and step into eternity. We're given instructions here in the text. Because of this, in light of the fact that the end is near in verse 7, it says, Be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. And we'll talk about a few more of those in just a moment. It says, Be of sound judgment. In other words, Understand rightly, recognize the brevity of this life, have some self-control so that you can pray. You ever remember to ask God, God, would you teach me to number my days? That there's scriptural and biblical wisdom to be found in realizing we have a short and limited lifespan. I'll tell you this, in, in less than two weeks, I went to three funerals. Three. And that's hard, isn't it? Because in some ways it's a blessing, I think, sometimes to be there because you stop and you think, you know, I just don't know how much time I really have on this earth. For those of you who think, some of you are sitting there, you're going, yeah, but I'm, I'm young, I've got many years left. And I want to tell you, you're not promised another hour. You really are not promised another hour. And I, I, remember, I remember back in college, I, I was a, a, a pretty new believer, and I was excited about my faith. And I was, I was reading the Scripture, and I just thought, I, I can't, just can't wait to go to college and meet other people that are just excited about Jesus. And I don't know how many people I met, and they'd grown up in church, and they got to college, and you know what they said? You know, I'd really just want to live for me for a while. I want to enjoy college, and I want to enjoy the college experience. I've got to discover myself. And you, you kind of stopped and wonder, well, what, what do you mean by that? I mean, you, you don't know. And they, they would tell me, I know Jesus, but I'm going to enjoy this time. I'm going to have fun now. I'll settle back down when I get older. Does that make sense, church? In light of the fact that the end is near? Romans 13:11 gives it a little bit different way. He says, "Do you do he says, do this knowing the time that is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. For now salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. 
The night is almost gone and the day is near. Therefore, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave properly as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regards to its lust. That passage gives you kind of a different picture, right? It tells you, hey, you know, you wake up sometimes and it's almost time to get up for the day. And you just don't want to. Ask my wife, I like the snooze button. And probably drives her crazy. But listen, there, it tells you in that, don't you know the hour to get up? It's here. It's time to wake up. Salvation is near to us when we believe. You need to get ready. The night is gone. The day is near. So why are we living like we live in the darkness? Why are we living like those who do the evil deeds of night? Why are we living like those who are in the day? And so I always think back to those people in college and wonder, how many of them came back to the Lord? How many of them have regrets from that time period? So if you're young and you think, well, I just, I've got time, I'll get this right later on, you just don't know. Church, I want to tell you this. Don't live for yourself. Don't waste the life that you've been given and judge rightly. The judge is near and you might face him tomorrow. So be of sound judgment. It says be of sober spirit for prayer. Remember, junk, drunkenness was wasting your time. When you're sober, you're self-controlled. And you realize, I've got time on this earth. I can talk with my Father. I can seek him in the word. I can, I can pray. And we can do this together. He can help me. Then he gives, look down in verse 7 or verse 8. Gives another instruction above all. Keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sin. According to that, you must hold on to your love for one another. That keep fervent, right? That's a command. It's to, it's to hold on to the love that you have. Love takes work, doesn't it? We're, we're going to start having monthly business meetings. Are those fun? Well, sometimes they can be, right? They can be a great blessing. But we have to be careful to hold on and keep fervent the love that we have for one another as we go into these meetings. But really, those things should just be part of what we do, right? Because what we want to be about, I don't want to spend my time talking about money or business meetings or all the, just the day-to-day things that we have to get done. You know what I want to spend my time talking about? How can we see Jesus glorified in Forest Heights community? I want to spend my time thinking, how is it, as a church, we can bring Jesus the most glory? And there's a reason for that, right? That's what He's called us to do, to live for the will of God and not for ourselves. And if part of that is we've got to keep our love for one another burning brightly. We've got to keep stoking the fire. We have to keep doing the action that it takes to actively love one another. And it tells you why. Because love covers a multitude of sin. You know why we forgive our children for things we are harsher about other people's children on? Because we love them. Right? And there's times where love covers that multitude of sin. And that when someone sins against me, sometimes I have to recognize, hey, 
what I want is peace between us. And I'm going to offer that forgiveness because I love them. And it's okay. I don't have to seek revenge. I don't have to make things right according to just a human standard. Let me ask you this. Have you been living according to the will of God where this is concerned? Do you love one another? Are we forgiving one another? I feel like this keeps coming back up in different texts. And so I think God has given us a message on that. He's already written it for us. Love one another. Take care of one another. Forgive one another. If you're holding grudges, it's hard to love. It's hard to love. Do you seek the good of your brothers and sisters or do you seek their downfall? We don't like to think of it that way, but we do it. Next, according to this text in verse 9, it says, Be hospitable to one another without complaint. That it literally means loving strangers, being nice to strangers without complaint, welcoming people into your lives and into your homes. And, and there's different ways of doing that. I know we can't always have people in our actual home, but you know you can show hospitality in other ways, right? That friendliness, that desire to help when someone comes in, to reach out to them and offer a, a friendly meal. We need to be hospitable without complaint, according to this text. And then, as we continue on, verse 10 says, As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. In other words, each of us has been given a gift. We've been given talents. We've been given skills. Some of you have the gift of generosity. Some of you have other giftings that God has given you. It tells us here to employ those as stewards of what God has given you. Employ your gifts to serve one another. Are we doing that? If you want to live by the will of God, this is pretty simple, isn't it? He's given you gifts to serve one another. And it says that if we are to serve, to serve as with the strength that He supplies. Recognizing sometimes it's hard, sometimes it doesn't make sense to serve others, but God will give you what you need. He'll give you the kindness that you need if you ask Him. We joked around about road rage this morning in Sunday school, right? Well... We start asking God before we get on the road. Maybe he'll supply that too, right? We all have, we used to call them sandpaper people. You guys ever heard that? They just kind of rub you the wrong way a little bit. The sandpaper people also smooth you out a little bit, don't they? And we all have those kind of people that you think, well, I just don't know how to love that brother. God says, serve him with the gifts that you have with the strength that I give you. That we're called to serve and to strengthen one another. As we think about deacon nominations, okay, and none of this is in my notes. I didn't plan on talking about deacon nominations this morning. But as you think about what it tells us here, that if you have a gift, as each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. It may be that God has gifted you to be a deacon. Maybe you have been in the past. And God is saying, you know what? It's time. I've given you this grace. I've given you this gift. It's time to put it to work. 
It's time to serve. And so that's just one example of what this text is teaching us. As I think about all of this, though, to kind of sum all this up, it tells us we have a choice. You're either going to serve, live for yourself or you're going to serve the will of God. You're going to live according to His pleasure and His good will. And, you know, we get, sometimes we get hung up on making that decision. Well, what is the will of God? When you look at this text, if, if you want to live the will of God, the first thing you do is you just ask yourself, is there sin involved in it? If there's sin involved in it, is it the will of God for you? It's not. It never is. That's why in, in Thessalonians it tells us, this is the will of God for you, that you abstain from sexual immorality. It's that simple. Is it God's will? Well, is there sin in it? Then, it's, then that's not God's will. Has God instructed us to do good and do other things? Yes. Well, when you look at your life and you make those goals, you want to live for His will? Follow the instructions, right? And in other matters, you say, well, yeah, but I want to know God's will for my life, God's will for my job. Listen, we pray and we ask for wisdom. But even in, I would tell you that even in those decisions... Instead of waiting for God to write that answer on the wall, ask yourself, is there sin in it? No. Then you're free to choose. God has given you a brain. He's given you the instruction of the church. He's given you wisdom of others that you can go to and ask. But as you make decisions in life, living for the will of God is about walking with Jesus. It's about your character and your integrity and being a man or a woman who would serve God him and so we find all that here in the text and to sum this up to, to finish this off look at the end of verse 11 why do we serve why do we live for god's will it says so that in all things god may be glorified through jesus christ to whom belongs the glory and the dominion forever and ever amen why do we do this why do we live for him so that god would receive the glory. Isn't that, what again, what we want to see? Christ being exalted. There's people around here that they never name the name of Christ except to curse Him. And don't we want to see them praising Jesus? Well, let's get out and serve. Let's, but it starts in with us. It starts with us making that choice day by day. Am I going to live for myself or live according to the will of God. In just a moment, we're going to have a time of invitation. And this is the time, maybe you can look at your life and say, you know what, there's been a season here where I've lived for sensuality and self-indulgence. And I'm telling you today, like the Apostle Paul said, that, or sorry, as Peter said, the time for that self-indulgence, it's past, you've had time for that. Stop it. Right? It's time to wake up. It's time to, to wake up and be ready. The time to, to ask ourselves, how can we as a church bring God the most glory is upon us? That is the question we need to ask ourselves as a church and as individuals every day when we give up. What, when we wake up in the morning, God, what would bring you the most glory today? So let's not waste our lives. Let's not waste what God has given us. Instead, let us live to worship and make Him known in this community. Let's do that together. So if you have been living 
for yourself, and you know it. Today's the day to tell him that. And I'm here, I'd love to pray with you, but you can pray from where you're sitting as well. And maybe you look at this and you go, you know, it says, brother, that we're supposed to love our brothers. And I'm struggling with that. Come and I will pray with you. But again, you don't have to come to me. You can tell it to the Lord because He is with us and listening right now. And then last, I'll say this. If you've been sitting in the the chairs for a while, because we don't have pews, and you think God has called me to serve, He's given me things and asked me to do it. And I've been saying no. And not using your gifts and your talents to serve in the church. Today's the day to tell the Lord. Today's the day to say, God, I want to see you glorified. And I will give you my life and live according to your will. I will serve with the gifts you've given me. Today might be that day. And it's not a coincidence in my mind that there are denomination forms out there. But we need teachers. We need volunteers. We need the servants of the church to stand up. And so today might be that day. And during this time of invitation, I want you to consider deeply what God is calling you to do. Let's pray. Father, I pray that we would wake up. Father, I pray that we would know that every day we can serve you. And Father, for those that are here today that have been living for themselves and are stuck in a pattern of sin, God, uh, we don't condemn them today. Sin is already condemned, but Father, what we do is we declare their freedom from it. And Father, we ask that they would come and repent and turn to you who freely forgives us. Father, I beg you that we would have a spirit of holiness and desire to put sin off and live for you in this church. Father, I pray as even as we think about how we can serve one another, that you would give us wisdom on, on knowing what to do, that you would help us to commit even when it's hard. Father, that we would serve this church and serve one another with the strength that you give and not with our own human strength. Father, lastly, I pray that we would have hearts of love for one another. Forgiving attitudes. Help us to forgive just as you have forgiven us. God, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.